our larger reasons for being, are those served well by the ways that we behave? Mm. So that, yeah, it's that alignment of uh, action with higher purpose. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your business. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Jeff Bellman. Jeff launched his consulting firm 40 years ago, after 14 years of work inside corporate America. His consulting has focused on renewing large, mature organizations, such as Verizon, Shell, and Boeing. I first met Jeff through his book, The Consultant's Calling, where he synthesized his experiences and where he reflects on the development journey of his consulting. He has since written a series of books that we will link to in the show notes. His most recent book, Extraordinary Groups, How Extraordinary Teams Achieve Amazing Results, explores teams, families, and groups that perform beyond everyone's expectations. The question the book seeks to answer is, what enables such breakthrough performance to happen? Naturally, That's an area I'm fascinated by, too, in my work to discover what enables leadership teams to create new and compelling futures where performance and purpose converge to enable an expanded theater of possibilities. In this conversation with Jeff, I want to ask Jeff about all of these and more. Jeff, it's great to be able to be in conversation with you. Welcome. Thank you, Avi. I always like to begin by asking, what engages your curiosity currently? What kind of work do you do at this time? The current thing is uh, there's a group of us, eight consultants from around North America, that meet monthly on Zoom, like we're meeting now. And um, we meet for two or three hours a month to talk about teams and groups related to the last book that I wrote that you alluded to a few minutes ago. And uh, that group is coming here to my house uh, right after Labor Day. Eight of them will be here. Most of them will be staying here. And we're going to meet for three days to uh, discuss where we are in our work together. Five of the eight people in that group are out in the marketplace. Uh, three of us are more retired. Currently, that group is focused on healthcare and what how does what we know about creating extraordinary groups and teams how does that fit with the current confused healthcare environment what where are places that we might be useful our ideas might be useful and how did this group come together uh, first at other people's initiation the book uh, extraordinary groups was uh, co-authored by Kathleen Ryan and myself and uh, after the book came out, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, after the book came out, there were a few people who contacted us and wanted to incorporate the ideas in the book and their work as external consultants. So eventually there, were, there was a group of four of us that was meeting regularly, and then that group expanded to eight and so that we can discuss ideas. We're not getting together to talk about the content of the book, we're getting together to talk about, to continue the exploration that the book began, to continue the exploration of how do ordinary people achieve amazing results sometimes, because we studied uh, a number of groups uh, in the process of writing that book. So we continue with that exploration today. So I will want to rethread to this later in this conversation, but to, to just clarify, so you are both meeting on a monthly basis on Zoom, and every once in a while you, you take a, a more deep dive, face-to-face, three-type, three-days type engagement as, as you're about to embark on. You're right. That's, that's fascinating. And uh, 
Uh, I am curious, has that been a, f- was that a feature in your professional experience that there were always colleagues that you engaged with and, and shared and explored your yes. ideas and, and their ideas? How, how important has this feature been in your work? Oh, I, you know, it's funny because I kind of discovered that I've been in a group like this, a, a group of people, a small group of people that I respect that meets on a regular and planned basis and shares um, a um, professional commitment to making uh, large organizations uh, more effective and making the people in them more effective. I discovered that I've been in a group like that since the mid-70s. I was in a group uh, that continues. I was in a group for 25 years, a group called the Woodlands Group that met quarterly around North America for three days at a time. Uh, there were 14 consultants in that group, plus uh, significant others that uh, chose to attend. We, I think that that group took about a month of my time a year when you add up all those meetings and traveling to Montreal or Puerto Vallarta or Kansas City, wherever. That's significant. Um, that's significant. But my guess is because for many of the practitioners in the the field, they operate as lonely lone wolves. Then the community of practice becomes a very important space yes. to cultivate. You've got it. Yeah, yeah. And that was so. A lot of us there. Many people in that group were lone wolves, as you put it, and and fed deeply. Uh, by that shared experience. And, and through time, some of the most significant aspects of what we did together are more about community and even love than about tasks shared, consulting together, or pursuit of um, you know some particular angle on what's going on in the organization world today. And that's an outcome of the, the stage in life and career of most of the people involved or a different uh, reason? Um, I think that it's uh, an evolution of the group and a discovery that by, through a, a shared purpose that we followed in very intentionally, that we became uh, fond of each other and concerned about, interested in each other's lives, not just each other's work. That's a fascinating comment. And mm-hmm. um, the, the discovery of the, the importance of, of groups and communities, mm-hmm. of shared purpose and shared practice, where mm-hmm. people are able to not just transact in terms of their professional life, but beyond that is, is clearly has been important and perhaps in, in this chaotic world even more important. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. In the, in the consultants' world and in this world at this time, in this organization world at this time, I think it's more important than ever and that people crave this kind of experience and often don't see how they could get it. Mm. Let's explore. I'm sure we're going to come back to this because even in in what you said there, there is a hint to the the interior journey of the consultant Mm -hmm. that's evolving all along the the exterior work with clients. And I'm sure this is a a thread that will appear. But let me perhaps uh, first go to an earlier stage and, and ask what are some of the early formative experiences that prepared you and directed you into consulting? I think that it goes way back to probably grade school or junior high. Uh, I, I saw myself uh, as an observer of what other people were doing. I, I didn't see myself as a leader, particularly. I didn't see myself as a, uh, one of the most important kids around, but I did see myself as uh, as being a good observer of other people. And when I passed those observations on, um, they were often uh, reinforced by 
my friends. They, they liked hearing from me. So it goes back even that far as I sought a place for myself among my peer group. The more, my first um, professional experience with it was my first job out of graduate school. I was uh, a systems analyst. I helped a company, a, a cement and potash company that I was working for. I helped them put together their rudimentary financial systems and all that and, and link them to the new computer that the place had just bought, uh, actually bought, purchased while I was there. So I had the task of going out and figuring out uh, accounting systems in the company that I didn't know much about, but a lot of people there did. And I was not particularly attracted to systems analysis and that, that whole computerized world, but I was drawn to the, uh, the gathering of information, the assessment of what people were saying, pulling all of this together, that was attractive to me. And I, and I thought, I don't know if this is true, but I thought I was pretty good at it besides being attracted to it. So I think um, professionally, that was a place that I began to catch on to the get this. And again, I was an observer. I was watching other people. I was gathering information from them about what they did. I was building good relationships with them along the way. I was analyzing the information that I gathered. All of that fits with the consulting that I did for many more years uh, inside a couple of other corporations and then on my own as a as a management consultant. What always fascinates me when I study the professional journey of people is, is this story, this element in the story of how do we discover our talent and how do we discover that sweet spot where, where passion and talent and capabilities all come together. In, in what you're sharing so far, you're highlighting two set of skills and capabilities. It's, it's your ability to observe and be in that position and also your ability to distill and synthesize information and formulate that information in language that is amenable for others such that they're able to internalize and say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and through that, you, you gain currency and traction with, with people. And, and so I'm curious how that self-discovery then leads you more formally into consulting. And, and at what point do you actually say to yourself, oh, that's, that's actually a profession and that mm -hmm. is something I'm going to pursue? Yeah, good point. I, I think I was well into it before I recognized that it was a profession. It was quite a different world in the late 60s than it is today. And that's when I had these discoveries. First, I moved to an oil company. And uh, there, as a junior person in the human resources department, among the many things I did is I was asked to do some uh, training of employees around interpersonal skills. And I, I was trained up in that myself. And then eventually training in other areas related to motivations, teams, management by objectives, a number of areas. The great thing was that other people asked this of me. It's, uh, I was so fortunate that people sought me out to do this work. They saw hints that I, that I might be good in the classroom. And so among the things I did was some classroom work. And it also appealed to, from a, an egotistical standpoint. There I am, I'm designing classes, I'm leading them, I'm getting attention. So there's a lot of ego in it in those early days for me. Yes, contribution to, but a lot of ego. And uh, part of the ego was also uh, beginning to, uh, as I led more classes, uh, beginning to believe that I understood what was going to on down in the ranks of the organization. And, uh, with all of their um, distrust of management and all that. So I became kind of a, a spokesman for, to uh, management about what people around here really feel like and what they really want to do and how to best connect with them. 
So again, egotistical contribution, but egotistical as well. I was seeing myself as pretty hot stuff at that time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you are becoming a change agent on the inside and a translator, and that then leads you to at some point formally decide, yep, I'm going to launch my own consulting practice and my own consulting firm. Tell me about that transition. And, and what was then when you decided to make that transition, what was the central idea that you thought was going to shape your consulting work? First, let me, there's about 12 years in between when I um, was having this experience of representing people and training people in New Orleans. And, and when I went out on my own in Chicago years ago, or years later. Right. So um, when I was first falling into this realm and encouraged to, to do more training, I, uh, I became intrigued with not just being in a classroom setting, but being out in the workspace. So I began to get intrigued about the possibility of consulting before I knew it was a potential profession. Mm. It was later on in, in other work, uh, moving up to a headquarters location, all that, that, that I began to understand there is a profession here. I could do this. And it was pretty early on that I said, you know, one day I'm going to do that. One day I'm going to be on my own as a consultant. It was probably six, eight years before I did that in 1977. Yeah, all of that is in there. And then to return to your question, how do I move from the workplace and, yeah, working for these three corporations to being out on my own and what causes me to do that? Is that what you were interested in? Exactly. Exactly, because it's one thing to work on the inside. It's a whole other, a very different story to gain the confidence, the, the vision, the conviction that first, you're going to be successful, and, and second, that this is going to become a calling, mm -hmm. as we will discover later <laughs> when you title a book, The Consultant's Calling. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. It is quite a difference. One of the things that moved me was um, I was approaching 40, the age of 40, and I thought, if I'm going to try this consulting stuff, I ought to try it now. And if I don't like it, well, I'll jump back into corporate life. I liked corporate life quite a bit, and I feel like I was well-treated there. But I thought, I'll just try consulting for a while. So it wasn't with a huge amount of uh, confidence or commitment uh, that I went on my own. But I did that, living in Evanston, Illinois, north of Chicago at the time. And I had the good fortune of my previous, my two previous employers both hired me to do some work uh, for them. But what I was looking for throughout that is represented in the subtitle to my book, The Consultant's Calling. That subtitle being is uh, bringing who you are to what you do. So I was looking for the opportunity to be more of myself without the encumbrances of a permanent corporation that I'm employed by, without the encumbrances of being director of a department and all that responsibility. How do I be myself on my own through this work? Uh, the other thing I was interested in besides that was How do I get more time for myself when I'm doing things besides working, besides working for money? How do I develop other facets of my life, my personal life, my family life? How do I get more time off? Um, how do I get to work with more types of organizations in the world? How do I give more time to my community? All of those things played into that move from corporate work to being on my own. A combination of, of um, finding your voice in the sense of bringing who you are and with that, creating for yourself the, the platform to redesign your life based on, on the emerging priorities that you were discovering. Mm -hmm. why, yes. why, why was it so important and can you trace that inner 
impulse of I have to find a way to be me. I, I, I just I think that's, that must be a perennial quest and, and people today in the workforce in the 30s and 40s and 50s search for that. Talk about that inner quest that shaped uh, this transition mm-hmm. and how, how you played with that. I think, as you allude to, that everybody in one way or another uh, struggles with, looks forward to, is challenged by discovering who they are, really, or more deeply, discovering who they are. Uh, identity comes to mind. What is not just the identity that I have, but, but what's the identity that I want to have? What is my unique contribution to this world. And um, I felt like I'd have more opportunity to explore that on my own and give voice to a lot of the um, notions that I had about how organizations might work and how people in them might thrive. When you reflect on the consulting work that you then started to develop and and when you reflect on on your experience what were the elements that you enjoyed most and and that you found most fulfilling in the consulting work with clients in a phrase i love it when a client and i say together we don't know where we're going but this is a great experiment or I'm just loving the work we do, and I'm excited to see where it's going to turn out. Yeah, I really like the work where the, the future's unknown, and we are creating it, though that ties to the title of your book. We're creating a new future. We're not following a path. We're cutting a path. And that's the most exciting work to me, where a client, usually not just one client, but a client group, a design team of some sort, uh, is helping new future emerge by paying regular attention to where they're going and following uh, principles that they've developed together. That's, that's the exciting work. What is it about that experience? Is it that sense of, of facing unknown and ambiguous set of inputs and a sense of the future that because it is so open-ended, it unleashes in, in people and perhaps in everybody involved that sense of um, creativity or, or, or mystery or a chance or an opportunity to, to get invested in, in something yeah. in a whole new way? Yeah, I think all of that. I think all of that and more is true uh, for people when it's really working. There's an excitement about it. People feel like they are signed up for a, an important purpose, a noble purpose, a purpose that, is, uh, that, that the world needs. And they recognize through their work together that they're joined in pursuit of this purpose. They talk about the purpose a lot. They're, uh, even as they don't know exactly where they're going, they're pulled forward by a collective sense of this is valuable, this is important to the world, and this is important in my individual life, and I know it's important in your life as well. And we're so fortunate to be doing this together and discovering together where, where we're going. And, and as I listen to what you're describing, Jeff, it, it's that sense that as we together shape the future that we are creating, that work reshapes us individually and collectively in the process. Yes, yes, it does. And we're so drawn to that. We're also drawn to um, working with each other and knowing how this future we're drawn to together is shaping each of us and we see the uniqueness of that. We know that people outside of our group don't understand this very well, but we understand it quite well. And um, yeah, that's one of the more, um, I think more unique than the um, 
outcomes that might be uh, anticipated by the corporation, if it is a corporation. More unique than that is the experience of people within the group as they reach for those outcomes. What, what have you discovered were some of the key elements that enabled that to appear in, in the kind of uh, consulting work that you were doing? In, in other words, because you were describing that what you enjoyed the most was a situation when, when you and the client said, we have no idea where this is going, but this feels good. And we, yeah. are, we are thrilled to discover what, where will it take us. Mm-hmm. And that strikes me as what I describe a, a condition of radical trust between the client and you that, that enables that type of an exploration. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and that's a unique, that's unique in my experience. It isn't that I have that experience with every client, you know. And with every client group um, that I work with, no, not at all. But I was responding to your question about what you know what I'm most drawn to, and that is it. Yes, uh, I'm yes. looking for that. I like the I like the honesty of that, the forthrightness of it, the the um, no pretense here. We don't know what the hell we're doing, but we're we're very committed to doing. I mean, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be. We feel like nobody's been down this path before, and nobody's created this path before, and we're excited to be doing it. Yeah. You wrote that you do your best work when you have a chance to step back and reflect, mm-hmm. and that your books came out of that type of a reflection. Yes. Yeah. What has, what has writing meant for you? and? How have you developed that side of your life and work? Mm. It's meant far more to me than I would have anticipated when I began. Yeah, I'm really surprised still. I'm surprised that I've written six books and a couple of second editions thrown in on top of that. I didn't start out to do that. I started out writing some articles and getting some attention and positive attention because I'm a pretty good writer and people, a few people begin to ask me to think about writing the book. And I thought, Oh, I'm not so, no, but eventually um, I found a subject area to focus on and began to see writing a book is like, Oh, that's like 20 articles. I could probably write a book. I did that. And then uh, I was surprised in the discipline of, of writing a book where I'd sit down each day and, and write at least five pages each morning. And the discipline of doing that, that I moved to a deeper level uh, within myself and, and begin to get really attracted to the internal exploration that's involved in writing a book, at least for me. That, oh, that brings up what's an important point for me. I haven't in, in writing, with the exception of my last book, which I did with a co-author, so it affected my process, I didn't sit down to write a book about organizations in the case of the book, The Beauty of the Beast, or, or the consulting process, being a consultant, like in the consultant's calling. I didn't set out to say, yeah, I'm going to write a book about this. What I did is instead is sit down and write write each day and see where my writing would take me. And so I'd write three or 400 pages uh, and just reach the point where I'm pretty much through writing. And then I print it out for the first time and look back over it and see, what am I saying here? What is this guy talking about? Uh, is there anything worth sharing with other people? Most of what I write never gets shared. It just ends up uh, being dumped. But I'd find a core of uh, thought, often find a core of thought that uh, is worth expanding on and worth uh, sharing with other people in some way. So it starts out as a pretty selfish process, focused on what do I really think? What am I thinking about right now? And then eventually, after five or six drafts, 
moves into being a book that's hopefully useful to other people. Is this a discipline that you still keep uh, today, that, that you get up in the morning and, and you, you write a few pages a day? No. Mm -mm. No, I'm not writing at all right now. And I'm not particularly attracted to it. I've noticed when I've been given opportunities uh, to do it or requested to do it, I'm not drawn to that right now. Right now, I am going on 79 years of age. I'm at uh, quite a different stage in my life and career, and I'm trying to cultivate my usefulness at this time. And um, that doesn't involve writing books for me. So far, it hasn't involved writing articles. Yeah, I haven't written anything significant since Extraordinary Groups came out, what, seven, eight years ago. So part of the process has been the go with the flow of, of your interest and, and use the writing when you did write as a mechanism for, for self-discovery, for self-insight. Yes. And, and the book was shaped later when you reflected on, on, on the process and, and what you found inside the writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. And I'm not prescribing that for everyone. But it sure serves me and my introverted self to do it that way. You say in the consultant calling that getting clients and making money means little if they are not in the service to contribution, friendship, and integrity. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious if, if you can try from today's position obviously you wrote that many years ago from today's position when you reflect back what would you say is the meaning of of these three words for you contribution friendship and integrity hmm. i said that huh okay <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but that, what i'm struck by is that um, what you said is meaningful to me but um i can't remember having said it you know It's actually written in the consultant's calling. So Yeah, yeah, I believe you. It's a common experience of mine for people to come up and talk about some part of one of my books and I don't remember it. And, and, I, and often people will tell me something or read something to me and I say, boy, I really like that. I wish I'd said that. So let's see, contribution, friendship, and integrity. Contribution, it's changed for me with time, but contribution for me means that um, together, self, myself, and the clients that I'm working with recognize that we're making progress. It's not so much about accomplishment as it used to be. It's more about progress forward and, uh, and being now at this stage of my life, being satisfied with our progress and not so hung up on the accomplishment of uh, specific goals that we may have set in the beginning. I used to be much more intent on being really specific about goals than I, than I was um, later in my work life. So a mutual agreement about progress. Is, mm -hmm. is that that's enough of a contribution for me right friendship yesterday I had dinner with someone who was a client of mine maybe 10 12 years ago my wife and I had dinner with him and his wife and uh, so we're friends uh, we've been to theater together we see each other three or four times a year and next week I'll be camping an annual event in the mountains near near Mount Rainier here in Washington State. I'll be camping and three of, of the eight people that will be there are former clients of mine along with their spouses. Last week I had lunch with and walked with uh, a fellow who was a client of mine maybe 15 years ago and is now one of my best friends. We see each other eight, 10 times a year. 
in a couple of weeks, my wife and I will be going to his uh, 50th anniversary celebration. So I haven't worked with any of these people uh, for money uh, for years, but that fr those friendships grew out of that work. There's a real intimacy of consulting work that can feed friendship because you're seeing people when they are at uh, their most vulnerable, uh, their most challenged, uh, when they're most excited. Yeah, that's there's an intimacy there that that I've shared with each of those people. What what are some of the other elements that enabled you to retain these kind of friendships through uh, the, the years? In in some cases, people that you have worked with perhaps decades ago, mm -hmm. and and you still are in the conversation. And uh, my guess is when, when you meet each other, even if you haven't seen each other for a year or so, you, you'll pick it up right where you, you left. What, what are some of the other ingredients that enabled you to foster these kind of relationships? Yeah, well, it's a much, it's, there are the same elements as other friendships. You know, the advantage there is to becoming friends with clients is uh, the advantage you have is that you're working with them regularly on work that you and they agree is important. And so you can get to know each other quite well there and develop a, what starts off as a, as a business relationship is become successful because of uh, not just competence uh, on both my part, their part, but also because of personal qualities that you're attracted to in the other person. Mind you, I don't become friends with all of my clients, but I am friends with many. I mean, I, there are probably 15 people in my life uh, right now that uh, I've worked with in years past, consulted to them. Some I keep up with, they keep up with me just by uh, one or two lunches a year. Uh, others I'm, Most of my clients were not in the Pacific Northwest, so others I'm precluded from having regular uh, contact with them. So, yeah, I think just think about friendships in general. I'm, one thing I'm confident of, because I've talked about this before, is some people listening to this will say, oh, no way. Don't not Friends with your clients, that's, that's not wise. That's a... Yeah, what about if you have to do something that hurts those clients? What about uh, if they have to do something that hurts you? And would friendship get in the way? Uh, yeah, there's that possibility. You know, really acknowledge that. But actually, I think my friendships with clients have allowed me to, uh, when it was necessary, to confront them more deeply, more honestly than if I were more distant from them. Right. So that comes into the definition, in, in this case, your definition of friendship, where a friend is somebody you will offer candid and honest comments, and you will probably expect that from the other person, where there is that quality of transparency and honesty, such that rather than compensate for what perhaps you would not want to be compensated for in terms of, say, the, the weakness or the deficiencies, there is an invitation to create a space mm -hmm. inside of which everybody involved can, can be growing, can be engaged in the process of personal growth. Yes, I wish I'd said that. Um, <laughs> that yeah, that, no, that's a, good, that's a good and different take on what I'm trying to express. Of course, I'm fortunate in that my work calls upon skills in me and clients, calls upon our skills in working with each other, one-on-one -on -one in teams in a larger organization. It calls on us to deepen our relationship skills as we go about doing this work. So there are other consulting worlds that don't have as much emphasis on that. So, um, so, Perhaps the nature of the work that I've done is uh, really important to, uh, and makes it more likely I'm going to create friends along the way. The third idea that you codified in the comment I 
referred to earlier was integrity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm curious how your thought process about integrity evolved through the years and what it means for you today. Yeah. Integrity for me has to do with integration of purpose with method. How do we go about doing what it is we want to do? Or put another way, is the larger why that we're in pursuit of, the larger raison d'etre, the reason, yeah, our larger reasons for being, are those served well by the ways that we behave? Mm. So that, yeah, it's that alignment of uh, action with higher purpose. And there are lots of times when I don't do that well, and when my clients don't do that well either. Uh, There are times when we don't do that well together. But in this work, I'm called to bring my best self to it. And even though I'm often not successful in that, I, I continue to remind myself of what I could do if I acted in concert, more in concert with our larger reasons for being. Yes. Yes, I, I appreciate very much the way you define their integrity because it, it resonates for me in, in my contemplation of integrity as, as the third level of integrity because the, the, the first, most simplistic appreciation of integrity is your actions match your words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a second, slightly different nuance about what integrity means would be that your actions match your potential for contribution. And, and that's, that's different. And I always mm-hmm. say it that, is. that when we hire people, we should be hiring people even more so by, in terms of hiring them for their potential and expect them to, to realize their potential. But there is mm-hmm. a third level of appreciation of integrity that, that I'm thinking of, which is where your action goes beyond matching your words and beyond matching your potential, but rather match the need of the situation you're in, or in, in your case, perhaps the, the, the fourth level you're offering here, match the, the shared purpose that you have developed. Mm-hmm. What, what, what that means for me in, in a, the practical sense is the difference, perhaps the difference between a superficial honesty and a deeper kind of genuineness. Mm-hmm. As, as an example, honesty is, you say you told me that your roof has a problem and say, I said, I'm going to come and help. And suppose I show up with a five-foot ladder, but your roof is a 10-foot ladder kind of a project. Mm-hmm. And so my honesty is matching my words. I did bring my best self and, and my best ladder, perhaps even <laughs> yeah. matching my potential, but mm-hmm. really I'm not matching the need. And, and so to me, that's the distinction between superficial honesty and genuineness, because the, the more genuine thing would be to inquire by asking you, Jeff, what, what kind of roof do you have and, and what kind of a ladder do you need? And say you then informed me that you have a 10-foot kind of a roof, mm-hmm. and the implication for me is I will need to get in touch with a friend and ask for that person's help such that they can bring their 10-foot ladder. Mm-hmm. so that we can actually engage with the need on point. I think in, in your case, you're proposing a, perhaps even a broader definition, the purpose that brings us together. And, and that's a whole other way of appreciating integrity than simply saying that integrity is when your actions match your words. Yeah, yeah. And I think those other, the other levels that you talk about are important too, and I like the way you kind of dissect integrity and, and give it a wider and deeper meaning than most of us um, think of in the beginning, yeah, when we first think of the word. The, so. 
the implication for me is that there is a developmental imperative in this, in, in just even the context that you offer there. Mm-hmm. If we are pulled together for a purpose, and that purpose is going to demand from us more than we perhaps can bring to the table today, then we're going to have to engage with the kind of learning and development that's required because of the integrity mm-hmm. that's called in us because of that unified purpose. Yeah, yeah. And I also think that finding purpose is, um, and ag- finding and agreeing on purpose is more difficult potentially than many people think. It's, like, it's not as simplistic as we're in money, we're in money, we're in business to make money. No, uh, what's, the larger, what's the larger purpose we intend to serve in society or in this world? So my experience in working with groups is that often early on, they'll decide on a purpose. After some discussion, they'll decide on a purpose that is agreeable to others in the group. But as they work toward that purpose, somewhere along the line, Somebody says, you know, I think we need to redefine our purpose that what we said earlier was uh, much shallower than what we're really about all about. And I think we're all about this. And they'll offer something larger that gets a lot of positive head nods. So one of the great things about groups that work extremely well together is their unit, not just their unity around purpose, but beyond that, their pursuit of the deeper aspects of it through time that uh, they don't have uh, it all resolved today they think they do but they discover that hey we're in this for something much deeper than we thought in the beginning and that's an exciting thing for me to be a part of and, and exciting for the groups as well is there a specific for instance or case in point that you can share where what you're describing there, which sounds to me like a, a continual rediscovery of purpose, or at least a particular milestones where purpose needed to be rediscovered and, and redefined. Is there a, for instance, that you can share where, where they, that worked, either in the consulting work or more later in the type of community endeavor that you've been involved in? One that comes to mind is uh, in the I'll mention this one because we talked about it earlier. The group that I was involved in for 25 years, a group that continues today, it's in at least its 40th year, uh, the Woodlands group. Early on in that group, we agreed uh, that our purpose was around uh, our own uh, individual development in our skills, in management training and organization development, general, yeah, things that related to the skills that we needed to do our work as consultants. With time, we discovered our purpose was to explore what change is and what change can be at an individual, organizational, and societal level. And to do that in the context of a loving community, that was profoundly a a profoundly different purpose than the one we started out with and lived by for, I don't know, five to seven years. Right. You you transformed from a self-serving purpose, which mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing. You you were you were serving yourselves in the first place Mm -hmm. to transform that conversation into how can we together be some kind of laboratory for insight and mm-hmm. and intelligence gathering mm-hmm. about change in, in the broader sense of organizational and soci- societal mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. And we want to do that in a way that we work together in a community that cares deeply about each other a community that cares about what's going on in each other's lives, though we live all over North America. How do do we do that? 
like it wouldn't be enough to serve the purposes you talked about a moment ago if it didn't have this community overlay on right and and so that community is still together living into that purpose and breathing life into it when when you get together again yeah but I left the community 15 years ago uh-huh. and I was one of the founders of the community and I left it and I left it at the time because I because I was well into retiring uh, from regular work and they were most of them were still deeply involved in that work and I wanted um, to find another person place to apply myself and, and to use my energy a, a community that fit more with my retired state and what do you know I did I helped create one that's now that over 20 years old yeah that serves the uh, community in the Seattle area gives serves not-for-profit organizations while training people in consulting skills and all of that is basically for free. You have observed in the consultant's calling, and it's curious how these threads weave through already through our conversation here, that the internal me and the external me are often kept separated. Mm-hmm. And that consultants do that, and that people in, in all professions in all professions do that. And that as a result, the experience that people find themselves in lack the kind of congruency that they perhaps crave. And yes. when, I ref- when I reflect on this, Jeff, I, it occurs to me that the main factor for this congruency conflict that you're describing is fear. It, it's the fear that my internal me is not good enough or mm-hmm. that it will not meet the need of the situations that, that I serve. Yeah, and, and because of that, I I must create a different kind of persona or a different kind of act mm-hmm. to fit the situation. So, uh, and which is why, as you said, you wrote the book. The the line under the title of the book says, "Bringing who you are to what you do." So, mm-hmm. I'm curious, what has been your diagnosis of of this conflict, and specifically how? Did you help clients overcome this? This must have been a central thread, a central theme of your work because you brought that heightened awareness to that challenge. I think it is a, a central theme of my work, especially I think what people get from me when I work with them is uh, that we need people like you to make organizations effective as talented as And untalented as you are, organizations need to be run by normal people. And all of us bring to the world a combination of, of strengths and weaknesses. And I'm one of those people. I was looking for a place to legitimize my weakness, for work that I could do where I could be weak as well as strong and therefore be more congruent. And more um, powerful in my honesty so I've heard people remark in the context of doing work with them over time I could kind of build a pattern it didn't actually but I imagine I could build a pattern of people saying you know one thing I like about working with you is your acceptance of me as I am uh, and acceptance of our team or this organization as it is and In all of its wonderfulness and awfulness or as I said in the title of one book all its its beastliness and its beauty because I think individually we're made up of a combination of beauty and beast and our teams and organizations are too so part of being more whole more congruent is to acknowledge that you're not perfect and And when we create organizations that expect perfection we move people to pretending and it's like they're carrying around billboards that represent how they should be uh, how they think the organization wants to see them and behind that 
billboard is my real self that's afraid to show itself. And carrying that billboard is a really heavy, hard thing to do. So if we allow people to present themselves as they really are, yeah, we'll do better. And that, by the way, is what happens in extraordinary groups. Often is people feel accepted for who they really are, not just their attempt to present the more wonderful side of themselves. Indeed. So in many ways, you, you enable people to reclaim their humanity, to reclaim themselves inside the professional arena. And not an easy thing to do in many situations. I'm reflecting on, on this idea of show my weakness. Mm-hmm. Life is a, is a theater of polarities. So where there is a strength, there is a hidden weakness. And mm-hmm. also the opposite is true. Where there is a weakness, there is a hidden strength. Mm-hmm. And when we are now and enable these to reveal themselves, we often find that we're able to unleash latent creativity mm-hmm. and uh, potential that, that was not realized before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fits well with my experience in my own life, especially in, say, my 40s, when despite having... Um, done a lot of work on what I should know uh, in order to be a good uh, consultant, I still carried, um, there's a lot of myself that I was uh, hesitant or ashamed or didn't want to put forward. And I was amazed that through the help of workshops and individuals who worked with me, I was amazed at how much my power increased, my personal sense of power in life and at work how much it increased when I embraced my shadow side, my weak side. To the extent that I did that more, I became stronger because I became more honest. And not that I have all that worked out, but moving in that direction made me a better person and a better consultant. Is this part of what you meant when you wrote your presence and perspective are as important as your skills? Yes, yes. When people know that I embrace them, that I respect them for who they are right now with all their wonderfulness and awfulness, yeah, they're moving, at least in relation to me, they're moving in a really an environment where there's a lot that they could do, a lot they could acknowledge that they wouldn't acknowledge if they thought that I expected perfection from them. I think we as consultants need to model the kind of behavior with our clients that we'd like them to demonstrate with each other. Here we are. We've landed part one of this Create New Futures conversation with Jeff Bellman. Stay tuned for part two, which will follow soon. Now it's your time to take action. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, As Jeff observed, you become stronger and more whole when you bring who you are to the work you do. Look for opportunities to discovering and to bringing your natural talent and your voice to the work you do. Life is too short to stifle who you are. You will be surprised to discover that the more whole you is the game changer, the game changer for you and for the people around you that unbeknown to them are waiting for that greater potential that you can bring to the table. Second, dare to step into open, ambiguous, and uncertain terrain where a new future can be fashioned. Let yourself discover the creativity and energy that gets released when you work together with others to cut a new path forward. Third, do the work of integrity. For Jeff, integrity is the alignment of action with purpose. What purposeful alignment are you ready to create? What actions can you take this week to create more powerful alignment with your higher purpose? When you do the work of integrity and purpose, you change the world in small and big ways. And the beauty of it is that it fortifies and strengthens you. One more thing. You can reach me directly by phone and on email 
to explore how we can help you and your team create your new future. See you next time.